few years ago, Jessica was worried just a little bit about her brother, Jason. Jason is six years older than her, goofy, diligent, and people tell him often that he looks like Jared Padalecki, the guy who plays Sam in Supernatural. But Jason also happens to have cerebral palsy. At the time, he wasn't having a ton of luck in the dating department. I mean, he's definitely met and dated uh, women and had a few good relationships that have been, you know, really good for his growth and all that stuff. But in general, it is just more noticeable that it's harder for him to meet people just in general, like whether that's dating or not. Um, Yeah. I mean, he was just home more. Hello, and welcome to Love in the Time of Everyone, a show about the way relationships have changed over time. I'm your host, Emily Diekman. Back to the story, though, and to Jason. And that last thing Jessica said, he was just home more. Loneliness certainly seems increasingly common these days, but it's especially common among disabled people. A 2015 survey of disabled people in the UK conducted by the charity Sense found that over half of respondents reported feeling lonely, and 23% of respondents said they felt lonely on a typical day. In a lot of ways, our world just isn't built for disabled people. Mobility issues can literally make it more difficult to get out of the house, and some folks, like people who use wheelchairs, need to plan carefully to make sure every place they visit is accessible. A single stair step instead of a ramp could make the difference to whether a disabled person can get into a bar or a restaurant. Jason doesn't use a wheelchair, but he's also hearing impaired and communicates mostly using sign language. So the number of people he can communicate with is limited as well. It's easy to see how it would be hard to meet new people. Jason's easy to love. I mean, that's not the problem, you know? (laughs) It's like... It's just a matter of him meeting more people and having more opportunities to find someone who he vibes with. Because, like, even for me, an able-bodied person, I I mean, dating is kind of a numbers game um, to a certain extent, you know. And I, I've dated a lot of people, and it took me dating a lot of people to know what I wanted. And um, it was just hard for him to have that. So, I mean, the internet, what better way? (laughs) She's actually not talking about a dating app. So back in 2018, Jessica and her family came up with this idea to make a video with the tagline, love for Jason, like the number four. They'd post it online and see if they could get it to go viral. Here's a clip of it. And as we grew up, there's now one piece missing in his life. And that's where I come in. I want to help him find love. So who is Jason? Jason is 32, lives in Nevada, and is studying education. He's a strong, fun, and kind older brother, uncle, and son in our big, happy family. He loves to read, play the bass, spend time with family, laugh, watch movies, write, go on adventures, and help others. He's looking for someone who will love him for who he is, and someone who he can spend time with and provide for. Everyone should feel love for who they are, whether they have a disability or not. I think love is the best thing you can have in life, and I want my brother to have it. If this sounds like someone you know, please repost and forward this on. You may not know her, but someone you know may know her. 
repost and hopefully the internet will do that magic thing where people are connected who otherwise wouldn't be. I believe she's out there and needs someone like Jason in her life too. Love for Jason, love for everyone. The video includes photos and videos of Jason, including some really cute ones of him and his siblings when they were kids. At the end, there's an email address people can use to contact Jason. It's super sweet and really well done. The internet thought so too. About 400,000 people watched it. Jason said he grew up not always feeling like a long-term relationship was in reach. Here's an excerpt from a blog post he wrote about dating. First, he says it's actually easier to date other disabled women because they have something in common. Going up to an able-bodied woman is more intimidating in some ways. Quote, I see what they see. I might be a burden, a waste of money and time, or a not very good lover. Whatever the reasons, I don't blame anyone for fearing or thinking that or having a checklist of a perfect boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. That's okay. Even I have a checklist. End quote. One thing that's frustrating for Jason is that people often assume, based on the way he looks and talks, that he has an intellectual disability of some kind. Back in the 80s, the psychologist Beatrice Wright came up with a term for this. Disability spread. It's the tendency of an observer, like you or me, who sees someone with a physical disability, to allow that to spread to the way they perceive the person mentally, socially, and emotionally. Here's Jason. Jason's cerebral palsy causes him to have jaw tension, so, like I said, he usually communicates using American Sign Language. Lucky for us, he agreed to come on this podcast, too. I'll repeat what he says in case you have difficulty understanding him. Also, there were a few times during our interview where the audio went all wonky when there was some feedback. You'll hear a couple of clips that just sound weird throughout the show. I'm sorry, but this clip is the first one where you'll hear that audio wonkiness. If you didn't catch that, he said, a lot of people assume that, but if you give me time, I can tell you, I can show you that I have intellectual capability. Jason was a little reluctant about his sisters making the video at first, but once it came out, he started getting hundreds of emails every day. He said about 40% of them were people interested in potentially getting to know him or dating him, and the rest were more like, I wish you well in your journey, but still, it made him feel pretty good. Because I've been very, very, um, to make perfect growing up. So, with the, with the video and the email coming, coming around, it kind of, um, he said, I'd been a very timid person growing up, so with the videos and the emails coming, it kind of helped with my confidence, and I kind of wanted to date again. One of the many people who saw the video was named Elise, a young woman who was studying to become a speech-language pathologist. 
I saw the video and I thought it was just so sweet that, you know, his sisters would make a video to find him love because dating is hard. Everyone knows disabled or not disabled. Dating is rough. And it's just, it's too much. Like dating is just ugh. So when I saw the video, I thought it was very sweet. And I was like, oh my God, like, I I wonder what's going to happen. I, I don't know why I felt so like enthralled by the stranger story, but I was just so like, I got to follow this. So I followed the Instagram, the Facebook. I looked at the, I looked at the website. Cause I was like, this is going to be like a fairy tale. If he finds his person, I showed it to my mom. I showed it to my friends. I showed it to my then boyfriend. Like I showed it to everyone. I was like, guys, this is so cute. It's going to be amazing if the internet actually does this thing and like helps this man find love. To Elise, Jason seemed cool. Elise is really adventurous. She loves hiking and traveling and she has the killer Instagram feed to prove it. But in the video, Jason was doing things like snowboarding and skydiving and all these things that even Elise would never try. Meanwhile, Jason is busy sorting through hundreds of emails a day. He has some success. He even flies out to meet a woman, and then another. At the same time, Elise is going on with her life. She and her serious partner break up. She finishes college and earns a master's degree. She's figuring herself out. Then, COVID-19 strikes. And like pretty much everyone, Elise was bummed. Something made her remember that video of Jason, and she's like, I I wonder how that guy's doing. Maybe he found a soulmate. That would be good news. I could really use some good news right now. Oh, no, but I just one morning just like sent an email like, hey, I've been a follower since day one, and I, I want to know, has he found someone yet? It's like, maybe this will be a happy thing, and I can be like, hey, mom, remember that video I showed you? Well, he found someone, and uh, Jason emailed me back, and we just hit it off. They start texting and emailing back and forth for months. They tell their families, and they decide Jason will fly out from Las Vegas, where he lives, to visit Elise in Arkansas. Jason's family is really excited for him. Well, I told my family, He said, when I told my family about Elise, they were very excited for me, they were very supportive, and they booked me a plane. Jason's visit goes really well. Elise shows them all around Arkansas, they visit her favorite waterfall, they even say, I love you, for the first time. Elise's family was a little apprehensive at first. Who is this guy? You met online? I asked Elise if her parents were apprehensive just about the strange man on the internet element or whether one reason they were hesitant was because Jason is disabled. It was a mixture of both at first until after she met him and then it was kind of like, well, I don't know if he can keep up with your lifestyle because you're very active, you like to go and do and, you know, and while I get that every parent wants their best for their children and like you don't want your child to give up anything they love for someone else. Couples don't have to do 100% of things together all the time. I've learned from therapists like no that's not healthy actually. You shouldn't do 100% of things with your significant other. 
um, because you need to have and like that breeds co-dependence and then you're not really you know you don't like you don't really do the things you want to do anymore because it's like what you both have to do so i i was fine with that my mom was a little bit worried like i don't know you know with his disability and but it's still it's not even like a my parents thing it's like we're from the south and it's very much a southern mindset that the man we're very stuck in the gender roles where the men have to be big and brawny and bring home the bacon and you know and the women have to like do everything the man says and work the house a lot of us don't really abide by those gender roles anymore i don't so i that didn't bother me and i knew my parents were going to react like that just because if that's the generation they grew up in and that's the time frame but um once they met him they they loved him so yay I don't want to sound like we're painting Elise's parents in a bad light, or even Elise's parents' generation in a bad light. In one of her blogs, Elise mentioned that she was even a little nervous to tell some of her friends when she first started falling for Jason. She was worried they wouldn't understand her attraction to a disabled man. Culturally, relationships between able-bodied and disabled people aren't seen as typical. People look at couples and expect them to be the same in a lot of ways to have the same types of bodies and same types of interests. In her excellent book, Love, Sex, and Disability, the researcher Sarah Smith-Rainey makes a fascinating point. She writes about how many cultures idealize concepts like falling in love at first sight. But instant connections can be more difficult to make for people with significant impairments. Some disabled people communicate via voice box or computer, or with a cadence that takes time for others to learn or, as in Jason's case, with sign language. But this concept of learning and working in relationships is often absent from pop culture narratives. Rainey writes, quote, Thus, to have to learn to communicate, to find accessible restaurants for that first date, and any other number of trials a disabled, non-disabled couple may face would all be indications of incompatibility, according to the popular notion of true love. Since real love is effortless, it's how you know it's quote-unquote right. The love that requires effort must not be true. End quote. Rainey was in a relationship with a man named Max, who had multiple sclerosis for five years before he passed away. This inspired her to write the book, which includes interviews and analysis of the way romantic love and caregiving intersect in relationships between disabled and able-bodied people, in the last few years, the term interabled relationship has come about to describe this. Rainey said while she was filling out some paperwork related to the book, someone asked her about her relationship with Max. They said, wow, you must be a really great person. That has to be really hard on you. Rainey said she was just as much work for Max as he was for her, but she could tell the person didn't really hear her. Their idea of disabled people as a burden was just too deeply entrenched. So there are a lot of external social factors at play in Jason and Elise's budding romance. But still, things get serious pretty quickly. There are a lot of visits back and forth. They meet each other's families. Elise is super into hiking and she gets Jason into it too. She does longer and more challenging hikes solo, but they do many of them together. Jason helps Elise focus on living in the moment. I, I need to to just enjoy the little things that life can give you. Yeah. And, and to 
just a detail. And, uh, yeah, so he's introduced me. What he said was to enjoy the little things and to take my time. Because usually I'm go, 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 go. Like my road trip or any itinerary for a weekend, it's like by minute. Like I have everything preloaded. It's on my phone. And uh, he really has gotten me into like sitting or just standing, like savoring the moment. Like instead of just being worried about time and the timeline, just to like, we're here, we're going to experience this, Um, which is really nice. We were at Mount Rainier last month and I was just like, okay, good. We're done with this on in the next place. And he just held me like from the back, like with his hands on my shoulders. He's like, just stay in front of other people. And I was like, I'm so embarrassed right now because he's like, just enjoy it. Personally, I can absolutely relate to this. As someone who's constantly worrying about everything, I know how much it can mean to have someone around to tell you that sometimes you just need to chill. Elise works as a traveling speech-language pathologist, so she moves frequently for work. In between contracts during summer 2021, she and Jason rented a van and traveled through the Pacific Northwest with Elise's corgi, Gus. Everything is great with them, but sometimes they face judgment from other people. In public, the main thing Elise notices are stares, which might be because she and Jason communicate with sign language, which tends to draw the eye. In terms of our relationship, it's just society, like assumptions and weird questions we get asked and just people assuming I'm like helping him. I'm like, helping him do what? Like, I don't get it. Like, or like when people just, people kind of not really stare at us. I think when we use ASL, they stare because it's a visual language, but um, it's more of like people have never, or don't have, don't see it often, you know, a, a, a disabled individual dating uh, an able-bodied individual, unless it's like, oh, someone got in a car accident, and, you know, they, you know, and it's, and it's like, oh, well, now she has to stay with him because he's disabled. But, and they, I guess they might not think of like, why would you want to date someone who's disabled? Like before, you know, why would that be a choice? But um, it's not about disability. It's about the person. So in some ways that sounds obvious, right? It's about the person. I think there's a part of most people that would say or would want to say, of course, what's on the inside is way more important than anything on the outside. But the sociological, political reality is that it's often hard for people to understand. Here's another way of looking at it. There's something called the social model of disability. Maybe you've heard of it. So typically, people talk about a medical view of disability, like this person can't walk up the steps to a building able-bodied people can walk and able-bodied people are quote-unquote normal and therefore there's something about this disabled person that's deficient that we should fix. Their life would be easier and better if they could walk up the stairs. The social model of disability focuses more obviously on society than on the person. So yes this person has an impairment that means they can't walk. So rather than feel sorry for them because it's difficult for them to get where they need to go we ought to do something to make it easier for them to get where they need to go. Like, we need to install a wheelchair accessible ramp in this building. It doesn't mean to deny the existence of physical or medical disabilities. It's just a different way of framing it, focused more on how to accommodate people, focused on how maybe the world can be just a little bit more pliable. 
Basically, it's not that someone with a disability has special needs. They need to get up the stairs, just like everyone else. They need food, water, shelter, love, just like everybody else. Well, no relationship is 100% an independent person and 100% an independent person. Like, you know, I can't do some things that Jason does and he can't do some things that I can do. So it's very much a typical relationship where we play on each other's strengths and we help each other out. Elise already had a blog about hiking, traveling, and working as a speech-language pathologist, but since she and Jason started dating, she started to use her blog, as well as social media, to talk about being in an interabled relationship and about disability rights. Unfortunately, they've had an experience that a lot of people do. They've found that people online are a lot meaner than they are in person. A few months ago, Elise posted a video on TikTok about some of the common questions she and Jason get asked as an interabled couple, like, are you his nurse? Are you together? Are you intimate? They got some truly nasty comments on it. One of them said, just based on the way Elise and Jason look standing next to each other in the video, quote, this looks like rape, end quote. This, aside from being just awful, kind of comes back to that term, disability spread, right? Someone sees Jason, who might move or sound differently than they do, and they equate that automatically to him being less. Less capable, less intelligent, less of an adult. Rainey found this in her research in life as well. When people weren't viewing her as a martyr, they viewed her with suspicion, as though being with a disabled person must involve ulterior motives. Elise gets comments that she must be posting photos of her and Jason and information about disability rights because she wants to gain followers on Instagram or social media. But don't a lot of people use social media to share pictures of themselves with their partners and information about issues that they care about? It's somehow easier for some people to jump to that conclusion than to just believe that Elise and Jason are cute and happy. And wow, that's crappy, right? Those attitudes need to change. Ironically, I think one of the ways to fix this is for people to see more representations of interabled couples, to get used to the idea. And what better way for Elise to do that than to share information about her relationship online? Speaking of being cute and happy, though, in July, they went on a hike with Jason's parents. Elise was strapping some dog poop bags for Gus to her belt when Jason's mom pointed across the lake. She thought she saw a moose. Uh, And now... A moose isn't an animal I've ever seen in person. So I was like, oh, my God. So she's, like, pointing across the lake, and I'm trying to find it. And I think I see it for a minute. And then I hear Jason, like, clear his throat, and I turn around, and he's on one knee. And I've got doggy poop bags strapped to my <laughs> strapped to my pants. It was a beautiful setting and a lovely surprise and an emphatic yes. Doggy poop bags and all. Elisa's current contract is in Oregon, so they've settled down there while they work on planning their wedding. They're in a part of their relationship where things feel both exciting and comfortable. Elise says her favorite thing about Jason is how caring he is. It's not like an opposites attract thing, but it's kind of like our personalities complement one another. Because where he's, where I'm kind of neurotic or get anxious really easily, he's very calm and like, it'll all be okay. And he's very, very caring. And he's thoughtful and he is a great anticipator so he that's like I think his superpower is anticipating other people's needs and wants and he's great at that. Elise said sometimes she'll just think to herself 
oh, I should charge my phone or put that away or go get this random chore done. But by the time she goes to do it, Jason's already done it. Jason has his favorite things about Elise rounded up into one neat little list. She can cook. I can cook. <laughs> Two, her personality is just amazing. And three, she has a corgi. He said, my favorite thing about her is, one, she can cook. Two, her personality is just amazing. And three, she has a corgi. Truly, what more could you want in a partner than a chef slash corgi parent? with an amazing personality. Wedding planning sounded stressful to Elise, but Jason wanted to celebrate with family. After all, this is a big deal. There was a time where Jason wasn't sure he would get married. So um, we, we're compromising and we're having a very intimate, private, immediate family, like three close friends only, ceremony and reception. It is next year. We're going to get married on October 1st because the aspen trees will be popping. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just going to be really laid back. We're both pretty laid back. Um, We're both pretty laid back. Well, laid back, but. <laughs> <laughs> laid back or not, Elise said if she could leave people with one thing to think about, it would be pretty simple. I just want to put out there that uh, Jason is a person and he's wonderful. I don't know why you know, just normalize disability in general and normalize people wanting to date disabled people because they're awesome people. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Love in the Time of Everyone. Big thanks to the happy, engaged couple, Elise and Jason. You can follow along their journey at Elise's Instagram page, Lisey Rock. That's L-E-E-S-I-E-R-U-C-K. Or you can read more from both of them at Elise's blog, theadventuringslp.com. SLP as in speech language pathology. If you want to watch the original video Jason's sisters made for him, look up the hashtag loveforjason on YouTube with the number four, not the word. If you're interested in learning more about interabled relationships, be sure to check out Sarah Smith Rainey's book, Love, Sex, and Disability. And if you want to keep up with this show, please subscribe and leave a review on your preferred podcast listening app and follow along on Instagram and Facebook at Love in the Time of Everyone. Big thanks as always to Kathy Rivers and Bridget Thumb at KXCI for getting this show on the road and to Elva De La Torre for helping to keep it on the road. Thanks to Local Kindergartner for the theme music. The Local Kindergartner EP, Spine, is available on Bandcamp. I'll link to all of the things I just mentioned in the show description. We'll end with a note from Jason's sister, who loves Elise, by the way. She used the word obsessed, actually. I'm just really happy for my brother. He deserves it. He deserves love, and everybody does. And I hate when people forget and lose sight of love, because I truly believe that's the most important thing in this entire world.